With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to Pod TST. Uh, my name is Kenneth Arthur. Today I want to talk about Rams Buccaneers, which happens tonight, Monday Night Football. Hopefully you get an opportunity to listen to this before the game. I am publishing it only maybe several hours before it starts. So my apologies there. However, uh, there are there were episodes last week and uh, well, you know, we're trying to get an episode in here this week um, before the big Thanksgiving holiday of which I will not be uh, on turf show times um, later in the week during the holiday. So I wanted to make sure we were talking about the Rams and the NFL a little bit. You know that I've been doing a little bit of something called Antilytics, and today we're going to talk about Pro Football Focus grades really quickly. But before I do that, because I know you most likely would rather hear about the Rams than you would hear me rant about uh, EPA and DVOA and uh, PFF and these sorts of opinions that are disguised as statistics, um, first... Let me talk about the Rams, uh, the Buccaneers, and the upcoming schedule for Los Angeles and why I expect L.A. to have a pretty good record here by the end of the season, if not at least going into their Week week 16 matchup against the Seattle Seahawks for what could be uh, the division title and maybe more up for grabs, especially depending on how Monday night goes against the Bucs. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are... The most difficult team remaining on the schedule besides perhaps the Seattle Seahawks and then the Arizona Cardinals that they have to face uh, twice do the Rams. Um, So the Rams have seven more games remaining. And hey, who is it to me? Who who am I to criticize uh, analytics, quote unquote analytics? It's really a data analysis. It's not really analytics. But uh, who am I to question data analysis? Uh, when I can't even talk good. Working on things, still trying to learn how to swallow and breathe properly. Um, And it's only taken me nearly 38 years to learn how to swallow, uh, breathe, and uh, to do all those things in succession with talking as well as grammar uh, is an issue for this writer. Uh, But uh, before I get into PFF grades, and I'm going to say that six or seven more times before I get into it, Uh, Let's talk about the Buccaneers. Uh, This could be the toughest game remaining on L.A.'s schedule. One thing is that it is their fifth trip to the East Coast this season already. The good news is in their final six games, four are at home at SoFi Stadium, and the other two are nearby. They only have to travel to Arizona, uh, to Phoenix in Week 13 to face the Cardinals, and then they have to travel to Seattle in Week 16 on December 27th to face the Seahawks. And if uh, things continue to trend upwards for both of those teams, you're likely to see it flexed to Sunday night which would mean that uh, not only will the Rams be in primetime, they'll get a few more 
hours of rest there to face the Seahawks in Week 16 if that does happen. And looking ahead of the schedule, I think the Rams have every opportunity uh, to make it happen, even if they do lose on Monday night, which I, I do think that this is a difficult game for the Rams to win tonight. They have to not just travel across the country, which I'm assuming they already have done that part, um, but as they get their body clocks set to Florida time, which I believe Florida time is their noon is three in the morning uh, in Florida. Noon is three in the morning. So it, a lot of people think that Eastern standard time means three hours ahead of the Pacific uh, standard time or the West coast, which I've lived on the West coast my entire life, uh, notwithstanding a few trips uh, for vacation. Um, let's see the longest that I've ever not been on the West coast was probably when I spent a week in Australia, um, which I don't really remember that much of it. Um, nice people, beautiful beaches. Uh, but mostly here, I, I've been on the West Coast. And most people think that three hours ahead is how you calculate. But Florida time, um, they typically wake up in Florida, I think, around 9 p.m., which makes 3 a.m. the noon. And uh, so they have to go to Tampa Bay. And if they're playing Tampa Bay at 5 o'clock at night, uh, that means that the good news is that most uh, Buccaneers – don't usually wake up uh, for another three or four hours. So hopefully the, the Rams are catching them off guard. That uh, and, and, and Tom Brady, you know, he's still getting used to the new Florida schedule. He spent so many times, uh, so many years and so many seasons up in Boston um, where Boston, their noon is 7 a.m. And so it, it's very difficult because they like to uh, get up. That You have to get up super early to catch crab. And that's my favorite. That's actually the motto of Boston. You have to get up early to catch crab. Uh, it's something that sort of uh, I know that Matt Damon and, and Mark Wahlberg and Donnie Wahlberg and um, uh, the, 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 the person that uh, Mark Wahlberg attacked and, and I think uh, took out his eye, uh, blinded a guy. You know, I think that guy as well. He's from all these people were from Boston and they, they had to learn how to get up early for the crabs. Um, but Tom Brady, he moved because he just felt like him and Rob Gronkowski uh, would just do better uh, as Florida people uh, and for different reasons. You know, some people move to Florida. You either move to Florida when you're 18 or 80. And uh, Rob Gronkowski uh, has the heart of an 18 year old. Uh, he hopes one day if he uh, matures somewhat. And Tom Brady has the. Uh, body of an 80-year-old. Uh, and so it, was, it made sense for their own separate reasons for them to move to Florida, one for retirement, uh, one for late retirement, one for early retirement. Um, and so that, that's, that's working out. And then Antonio Brown, of course, um, uh, he was one of the uh, founders of Florida. Uh, I, 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 there was Florida Man 1, which is like if you get the Social Security number 1, uh, and then there was Antonio Brown. He's like Florida Man 2. So he was like the second Florida Man, which is really uh, a, a something that I think people get lost when they talk about Antonio Brown. They only talk about the negatives, but they don't talk about how well he exemplifies uh, the Florida Man, which, I mean, come on. This is lamestream media. They're just avoiding the, the truth uh, about the, these guys. 
Um, so that's what the Rams have to face in Tampa Bay on Monday night is the Buccaneers, a lot of new players, and what it has amounted to this season, all of those changes the Bucs made uh, after last year when they hired Bruce Arians as the head coach, and they built up that defense with Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator, into one that was formidable against the run and improving against the pass last season. And now they continue to be perhaps the best run defense in the NFL, but the pass defense has also gotten better. They've gotten some pass rush. Uh, inside linebacker Devin White has five sacks in uh, 10 games, which, you know, that's a second-year player who I don't think we talk about uh, a lot, maybe on the national media's perspective, not because he isn't great, but because Devin White is so young, you know, he hasn't gotten his first like accolade yet in terms of like an all pro or a pro bowl, but that's going to change this year. He's definitely going to the pro bowl. He could be a first team all pro. This is the type of player that uh, Devin White seems to be uh, developing into. Uh, he's almost got more tackles than he did in all of last year, albeit he did miss three games during his rookie season. He had 91 tackles this year. He's got 88 tackles in 10 starts. He's got five sacks, which doubles his total from last season. His nine QB hits and eight tackles for a loss also double what he had as a rookie last season. So overall, Devin White is a player inside that I don't know that we're talking a lot about, even though he was a high draft pick you know he's the fifth overall pick in the draft last year guess what he's doing really well so they've got Devin White they've got uh Shaquille Barrett who they put the franchise tag on last year Barrett's not gonna have as many sacks as he did a year ago when he had 19 and a half led the NFL he's only got five this year so he's looking more in that six seven eight nine sack range which is still making him a uh, pretty good pass rusher to some degree maybe just not that that's why they gave him the franchise tag and, and nobody went out and uh, gave him the long-term contract uh or the the bucks did not and they're not challenging for any suitors or trades jason pierre paul seven and a half sacks in 10 games uh 10 qb hits william golston is snake snuck in there with a team high 14 qb hits and uh sue the former uh, la ram of course he has four sacks and 12 qb hits in 10 games so a lot of really notable upfront front seven uh, players Levante David is still there of course and, and we knew that they had these strengths uh, they did have a high draft pick on Vita Villa not long ago in 2018 um, and uh, he's he's been injured so that's the only really missing piece and, and with all that they they had the the run defense all set there and then starting to develop that pass rush but in the secondary is where they got um, perhaps the, the most important uh, changeover from where the Bucks were a year ago, which is that cornerback Jamel Dean has developed into one of the better cornerbacks in the NFL, at least this season. You know, sometimes we, we get these names, they pop up for only one year and then they disappear or, or they're just fine um, or, and they'll, they'll stick around. You know, you can talk about like maybe a guy like Malcolm Butler of the New England Patriots. Who, who was an undrafted free agent and then uh, then started to get playing time and, and got a little bit more notoriety. And then he had the big interception in the Super Bowl, uh, which made him a more of a household name, obviously. Uh, signs a big deal with the Tennessee Titans. And he has a, a, he's had a pretty good career. You know, he's not, he's not elite, but he, he's pretty good. He's out there uh, week to week. And, you know, Jamel Dean is a guy who could get that Pro Bowl honor this year and maybe even an All-Pro honor this year, the way he's played. Uh it's just that's that we don't know. You know. It's early in his career. Antoine Winfield Jr. was their second round pick 
Uh, they're playing him at free safety, and he's played really well. And he'll, do, you know, he could be getting some rookie accolades and, and maybe some consideration for a Pro Bowl. Certainly an upgrade at safety and cornerback from what Tampa Bay did have last year, and they do have um, a lot of weapons, so to speak, on that side of the ball. A lot of talented players, and uh, Todd Bowles has been in the NFL for a long time. He's been a defensive coordinator. He's run a team, and uh, I, I don't like to overcredit defensive and offensive coordinators because I think it still comes down to the talent that you have, and, and there's it's undeniable how much talent the Bucks have, and, and to have a health and to have certain guys coming together at the right time because there's going to be years when having Levante David and uh, Sue – and uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, you know, some of them are going to be past their prime and, and some of them are going to be injured and some of them are going to be too before their prime. And, and right now, Tampa Bay has had it all come together at, at a perfect storm to bring Mark Wahlberg back into the equation here. Uh, a bit of a perfect storm over here. Uh, that was more of a New York, not even a good New York accent or not even a, a 100%. I didn't even give it 100%. But the Bucks do have a lot of talent on that side of the ball, and that's really going to be uh, where the Rams and the Bucks are matching up head-to-head, face-to-face, mano e mano It's not always just uh, – it's definitely not quarterback versus quarterback, um, and it's not defense versus defense, but really which defense shuts down the opposing offense better on Monday night uh, could come out to be why we get the result that we end up getting on Monday night uh, because – both offenses have strengths and weaknesses and sort of these star players who have not really put up the numbers individually that they could maybe even in a different offense or with, with fewer weapons around them or uh, with certain matchups and maybe they've faced tougher schedules of defenses and, and there's just weeks when they don't turn out. But, you know, this is Tom Brady and the the – the pros and cons that come with Tom Brady at the age of 43 in, um, you know, his 20th NFL season as a starter. And then Jared Goff and the, the pros and cons that come with Jared Goff, who is, you know, much younger than Tom Brady, um, but certainly has just not proven to have that sort of um, elite skill set, whether it is uh, physically, mentally, um, everything put together. I mean, Tom Brady is in a in a small group of quarterbacks, and then Jared Goff is young, and maybe he will one day um, put it all together in such a way like a Ryan Tannehill, who I I understand too. Like Ryan Tannehill is in a very good situation, I think, for a quarterback and for Ryan Tannehill, and he's he's in the right area. But there, still, his his numbers and what he's able to do for the Titans has clearly improved over what he was able to do for Adam Gase and the Miami Dolphins. And uh, Sean McVay is no Adam Gase. So uh, I expect him to be able to get more out of Jared Goff if Jared Goff is willing and able to give him more. Unfortunately, I think that there are, you know, that's that's where the Rams would like to take that next step above is to say now the Rams have this quarterback who – uh, will elevate the players around him rather than necessarily just getting elevated by those around him. Is he doing the elevation or not? Uh, at this point, it's just you don't see as much of that from Goff. And going up against the Bucks defense, 
that could be an issue. And uh, they are playing Joseph Nopum at left tackle with Andrew Whitworth having a torn MCL and potentially being out for the rest of the season. Uh, it's a little bit less, though I don't worry that much about the loss of Andrew Whitworth. Um, I was on the NFL SB Nation show this morning. Uh, unfortunately, I think that audio file uh, went missing or lost or uh, didn't get uh, into the the can. Or maybe I uh, was just, speaking of can, maybe I was just trash and, and it didn't make it through. But uh, the, what I was saying there was as, as much as Andrew Whitworth is one of the Rams' best players, one of their top five players, if not maybe their best player on offense all around, I don't worry that much about the loss of Andrew Whitworth. The Rams are as healthy as they've been all year long. Those players that are hurt or on injured reserve, those players, um, you know, who when there aren't any question marks going into Monday night with who's healthy and who's not healthy, every player is available if they're on the active roster. And that includes players like Terrell Lewis and Jordan Fuller and Ashawn Robinson and Joseph Noteboom and Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson and Tyler Higby, all guys who have been hurt this year or injured and missed games or missed lots of games, and they're all available. So I would say that the Rams are in as good a position as most any NFL team can hope to be health-wise at this juncture. And the, the fact is, like, if Jared Goff has any skill at all, it's, it's getting rid of the ball quickly, uh, avoiding sacks, and uh, what you don't want to see is him avoiding sacks to uh, run, run himself into an interception or a turnover uh, or, you know, that's what we don't want to see from Jared Goff. And I don't think that, uh, you know, no boom plays well enough for me to think that that won't be as much of an issue and running the football. You know, they've successfully been able to run that football off the right side. They've been safe, successfully able to run the football off the middle. The, the Rams are one of the most successful rushing teams in the league. And Andrew Whitworth has something to do with that. But so does uh, Sean McVay and Henderson and Malcolm Brown and sometimes Cam Akers and Jared Goff and, and, and Robert Woods. Like there, there are reasons that I am not as worried about Whitworth's injury as you might be, given how good Andrew Whitworth is and how valuable uh, he's been to the Rams since 2017, but it's it's it, there's other reasons I think that I would have confidence in that. However, the Bucks are just going to have a really good defense. It's going to be harder for the Rams to be able to run the football, which is something that they knew they were running into against teams like the Giants and and the football team that have better run defenses. Even the Seahawks, you know, they have a pretty good run defense. Do the Seahawks, and that gets lost in how bad their pass defense has been for most of the year, but. The LA Rams were able to get off 106 rushing yards in their win last week against Seattle. They've been able to run for over 100 yards in all but one game this season, which was against the Giants when they had 58 rushing yards, and they did only score 17 points that week. Um, but if you eliminate the run as an option or you know a big rushing, explosive rushing as an option against the Bucks. On Monday night, what are you left with for the Rams? That's where maybe it comes in. Like, can they either do something that most teams have not been able to do against Tampa Bay? Uh, also, their run defense has been a little bit worse in the last few weeks. You know, they gave up 138 rushing yards to the Saints two weeks ago, which was a season high. Um, it's interesting, you know, but they've held all but uh, – all but the Saints to 101 or fewer rushing yards this season. That's where L.A. would like to change things up and show that they can run the football 
against a team like Tampa Bay. And then that's where they will get more options here for Jared Goff in the passing game. Uh, we would like to see Cooper Cup be a bit more efficient, protect the football, catch the football, no drops. Um, we would like to see the Rams be able to stretch the field offensively. Can they connect to Josh Reynolds down the field? Can they get Van Jefferson involved as a downfield threat or as a threat at all? Can they add Cam Akers as a, as a rushing threat, as a receiving threat? Can they add that as a weapon? You know, it's your second round pick, the first pick that they made. It would be nice to see Cam Akers be able to have some involvement there. Um, but either or, it does seem like L.A. has to lean on another fantastic defensive performance uh, to win this game on Monday night. Another thing is that the Rams have turned the ball over in nine out of nine games. And when they turn the ball over more than one time, they're 0-2. Uh, so protect the football, run the football. We know that the defense is strong and they want to be able to force Tampa Bay into some turnovers, which has happened a few times this year. They had three turnovers against the Saints in week one. They had three turnovers against the Saints in week nine. They lost both of those games by double digits, getting blown out in one. Um, if the Rams can win the turnover battle, battle force Tom Brady into you know some mistakes. Tom Brady is throwing the football a lot. Uh, he was leading the NFL in pass attempts not uh, long ago. He's right near the top of the, the NFL leaders in pass attempts. So trying to get Tom Brady to throw an interception or two. Uh, he's got four fumbles. Ronald Jones has a couple fumbles. Um, just finding any way at all possible to protect the football and then hope that the game turns by forcing a turnover or two. But Defensively, these are two of the best defenses in the NFL, maybe even number one and number two, and number two of the top three with the you know the Steelers getting in some involvement. I think that the Rams are, are definitely being underrated as a defense, and so are the Saints. You know, So it's like they can play Saints type of defense against Tampa Bay just like uh, New Orleans did, which is uh, one of my favorite ways that New Orleans plays is uh, like the Saints. If the Saints can continue to play like New Orleans, they'll be fine. But the Rams can also play – like the Saints defensively. That'll be their best chance on Monday night here, I think, uh, against the Bucks because it'll be difficult uh, for the, the Jared Goff to uh, the Jared Goff off the Jared Goff offense. Um, come on, I mean, he has the name Goff. You knew you were setting us up for mouth jumbles when we were talking about football, playing offense, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, Jared Goff's offense, being able to move the ball against the Bucks, will be interesting to try to watch tonight and to see them attempt the ways that they'll do that. We know that Sean McVay has to be able to get uh, creative and, and figure something out to to make it make a change here, and also uh, expecting that it has to come down to Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, uh, Troy Hill, Darius Williams, Leonard Floyd, Terrell Lewis, Aishan Robinson, Michael Robert, uh, Michael Brockers. Uh, uh, did I say Jordan Fuller already? John Johnson, uh, Micah Kaiser, all these guys playing their role to create those opportunities to stop the Bucks on third down. You know, this season the Buc uh, the Rams ranked fourth in third down defense. So to be able to stop Tampa Bay on their third downs where they rank 15th 
on third down offense and 13th on third down defense. Um, this is really where L.A. can maybe get an advantage and, and get a win on Monday night. And if they get a win on Monday night, they move to 7-3. and three. They move up to the number two seed in the NFC, just one game behind the Saints, who will be starting Taysom Hill at quarterback for at least another couple of games. And I think Taysom Hill, no matter what his stats say, looked fine at best. His long pass to Emmanuel Sanders that went, I think, 44 or 46 yards was ugly was one of the worst long passes I've ever seen in my life. Uh, should not have been caught <laughs> and was just bad defense uh, or at least just lucky, you know, because it's, it was so in the wrong place for the ball to be thrown that it was like, if anyone's here, it's a miracle. And then someone was there, it was Sanders, and he came down with the catch. Uh, Taysom Hill looked not very good. Is he a dual threat running back? Can he, can he throw the ball like he technically can throw the ball? He's got one of the best, if not the best, offensive coach in the NFL, uh, over at least overseeing everything here with Sean Payton and, and Pete Carmichael, the offensive coordinator, and how long they've been doing that with Drew Brees, and they've been able to transfer some of that to Teddy Bridgewater last season. They were able to go 5-0 and when Bridgewater was starting, uh, and now they're 1-0 here with Taysom Hill as a starter. So clearly they've got a formula figured out, and, and I wouldn't count out New Orleans, but uh, that's potentially a team here that could take a loss. So if the Rams win, they will move up to 7-3. and and then they've got teams that they can beat. The 49ers at home, the Cardinals on the road, the Patriots at home, and the Jets at home. They can go 4-0 against that slate. And if they can beat the Bucks, that's 5-0. They'll be 11-3 going into Week 16 against the Seattle Seahawks. And then Week 17 at home against the Cardinals. I think that the Rams have a real opportunity uh, to be 11-3 going into that Seattle game. We know that they can beat the Seahawks. You know They've, uh, they've been successful, successful against the Seahawks, 9-4 with Aaron Donald against the Seattle Seahawks. So we know that the Rams can be successful against the Seahawks, and we know that that means that they have an opportunity maybe to you know win out. They beat the Bucs, they can win out, and then that's enough for the number one seed probably. Uh, but first job would be beating Tampa Bay. I do think this will be a difficult game for the Rams to win. However, if they do win it, it says a lot. It tells us a lot about them. I did tease something about PSF grades. So even though I've already been talking and ranting for quite a long time, and again, not very good at controlling my breath, my breathing, my uh, saliva intake, and uh, all that kind of stuff. So as fast as I talk, I, I can't imagine how difficult this experience could be for some people, some listeners out there, most of whom probably turned it off a long time ago. You're still here. That's impressive you could probably withstand all kinds of torture and uh, that's something that i think at the very least if you tell someone about this podcast tell them like i withstood the torture of listening to kenneth arthur rant without breathing in for 30 almost minutes it's it's impressive and you should praise yourself uh i know that moby wants to praise you like he should um so that's something that I want everyone to take to the Bank of America. Uh, by the way, my Bank of America credit card number is uh, 6842-3667. So use that number for uh, nothing. It's, it, guys, I couldn't. I, I don't even know what you would be able to do with a bank number, but uh, I'm not giving it out. So stop asking, okay? Stop asking, I know. Uh, I'm very uh, wealthy. One of these days, I want to, you know, and I want to, if, if anyone's out there listening and we're talking about wealth in the NFL, 
why is Quentin Williams uh, doing comedy in a Tide ad? I, I'm out here in L.A. I know a ton of actors who just lost uh, restaurant jobs and much more. So why did we need to, to get another ad with uh, Peyton Manning, who won't go away, who will continue to tell us, you know, we're still being fed this, this idea that Peyton Manning needs to sell us every product. Peyton Manning... What when is enough? When is when is enough enough? Does don't a, doesn't a person strive to to make such a grand living financially as Peyton Manning did for 20 years in the league? Don't you strive for that so that you don't have to hawk tide so you don't have to sell stuff? I understand that it's such an easy probably 100,000 million, 5 million, whatever it is. It's probably so easy. To just go in there and get the, and I understand, but don't you, I mean, didn't you, doesn't anybody work that hard so that they can spend more time with their family and, and doing things besides working for Tide? Is there something else to be done? And could we not give those jobs and opportunities to the people who did not make any money this year? Because they would go out on audition after audition after audition. And, and I mean, I have, I have nothing but after as, as a person who auditioned 15 times for commercials and sung every time and does not deserve a tie dad. But I know a lot of people who do who could have done it as well as Quinn and Williams, who, by the way, did a really fine, acceptable job. It makes me wonder why I had so much of uh, spent so much money on my uh, quote unquote comedy edu education. I don't think you can really. Uh, call the UCB a comedy theater anymore. But the fact that you could be out there and uh, all that time that people spent and, and it goes to this guy who plays for the Jets. Perfectly fine. Great young player. I can't imagine anybody who was, was needed to be pushed into buying Tide is doing so because of Quinnen Williams let alone Peyton Manning, but Quinn and Williams. Where else could those that job have gone to? This is a different... Uh, by the way, Quinn and Williams probably has a really good uh, PFF grade. So transitioning quickly to PFF grades, you know, obviously on anti-lytics, <laughs> uh, I talked just a little bit more about not necessarily even trying to take down analytics or to, to talk down about it or, you know, to, to say... There are plenty of things that we could say are wrong with a lot of these uh, websites and numbers. There's there's plenty, and that really the point is being able to have these conversations, like the fact that you know DVOA and uh, EPA and FPI, all these things are formulas developed by humans who had an opinion on what they believed efficiency was. All of these things are developed by humans on what they believed a point was worth. All of these things are based on what uh, just what basically what people say. So it, just because it comes out of a computer or a calculator doesn't mean that uh, a sophisticated robot was able to tell us without a shadow of a doubt what a player was worth or what a play was worth or what a throw was worth or what a run was worth or that a pass was worth more than a run or that this was the right decision and this was the wrong decision that you should – 100% of the time, go for it on fourth and one and on this field and not punt it. Why? Because uh, 18 years ago, um, you know, 
Uh, Kerry Collins is playing a game against the Buffalo Bills, and that's being calculated in such a way that now it should tell you that percentage-wise, based on thousands of plays that didn't have to do with tonight, it means that you know Sean McVay should go for it in this exact situation in these exact circumstances in Tampa Bay against the you know Tom Brady's Bucks. I mean, that's kind of a complicated and maybe not the most cohesive and, and clear way to put it, but let's just be very clear that all of these formulas come from humans. Um, one thing is, but there's things that we don't need, you know, to, to rely on someone else's opinion to spit out a number uh, that doesn't really tell us anything. It, it, other than, Hey, here's, if you took yards and touchdowns and interceptions and, and mashed them together and created a new number, this is what it would be. Or we, you know, we, I also just had the yards and the touchdowns, the interceptions, and I'll look at that and, and I'll, you know, watch the player and I'll decide for myself. Uh, unfortunately, it's difficult to do that because there are so many players in football, 22 on the field at any given time on these plays, maybe uh, 23 if you're the Oakland uh, slash Las Vegas Raiders. Um, but that's that's where it's getting down to the point of just why. We needed a some website like Pro Football Focus to tell us the grade of an offensive lineman. Well, because most of us just don't have, A, the know-how, or B, the time to sit down and watch every offensive lineman on every play. What I don't quite understand or believe is that PFF has somebody sit down and watch every offensive lineman on every single play. I don't really believe they do that for every player, and I don't even know logistically how they would explain how they do it if they watch each play 44 times so that they can count, or, uh, or each play 22 times uh, so that they can count 11 players on offense and say, okay, now I'm watching the left tackle. Okay, he did this. Now I'm watching the left guard. Okay, he did this. I mean, I guess you could watch it 11 times and say you watch the left tackle and you watch – uh, maybe he's defended by the edge player, and so you're saying, okay, I'm judging that those two guys on this, and he gets a one, and he gets a negative one. So that's one aspect, is to believe that one person, who, by the way, is probably either an unpaid intern or uh, a college kid making minimum wage and just loves football and would do anything for the opportunity to work at PFF or work anywhere in the NFL field, which I understand, I, I would do the same. I love covering the sport uh, as much as anything in my life. So I understand what that's like. At the same time, do you trust the opinion of every single person who loves football? This is what you are doing is, is when you look at a PFF grade, you're trusting the opinion of that college kid who would just do anything for you know the minimum wage to watch a game and just simply track it and, and give points out to players immediately i mean that's the other thing is that pff's grades are now because you know you can't come out with something two three days later it's too late the nfl news cycle is too fast the twitter world is too fast you cannot sit there and say oh man it's it's tuesday morning it's wednesday morning you know like the way that football outsiders is behind because of dvoa doesn't get released until tuesday they would love for that to be immediate but that's not the case and PFF says, hey, look, we got to get this out immediately. So when J they give Jalen Ramsey a 55.2 or whatever it was, 
uh, a week ago against the Seattle Seahawks when he was covering DK Metcalf, and we saw that Metcalf ran, what, 32 routes, and uh, he was targeted two times, and he didn't have any catches. Uh, this is all against Jalen Ramsey. And then he had some other catches against, like had a couple other catches against not Jalen Ramsey. Um, that we can say, how, how did, how did, I want to know, how did PFF grade Jalen Ramsey before L22 footage came out? How did they do that? Now, there are like zebra technologies. You can have like uh, next gen stats. There are things where players do have, they're tracked on the field and, and literally the play, it's almost like a, electronic football board where the players are moving around on the board and, and you can see exactly where everyone is at any given time at all the times. And that's, that's probably a way to quickly track things without all 22 footage. So what are we saying there though? If the, if even if PFF did have access to that, which I don't know that they do, but even if they did, is that something that you're trusting now that the, the Jalen Ramsey, a dot on a dot is enough to say when D, uh, Jalen Ramsey couldn't cover DK Metcalf and when he could and an imaginary throw to DK Metcalf that never happened that said well he was open here he should have been thrown to an imaginary throw that never happened we're now trusting that college kid to tell me what that's worth on a grade we're trusting that college kid or that unpaid intern or you know that guy who just wanted to uh, uh, work his or her way up the ladder at PFF or whatever just yeah look you try track all these games we've got 256 regular season games per year pff has to put out you know they have to have enough interns for that 256 games a year and then you got to track every single player on every single play how many people working on this do they have what's their criteria that they all because they all have a, a uniform criteria there's no you know, there's not supposed to be that much leeway to say, hey, look, if this happens, then it's a one point. If this happens, it's a two points. If this happens, it's three points. And if this happens, it's negative one, negative two, and negative three. And then they just do that for the whole game. And I've talked to these people. I've talked to people who do this grading system. And I'll tell you, they didn't, ha they didn't give me that much confidence in talking to them in the, uh, the grading system. I didn't feel, you know, they weren't, they weren't spouting it off as like, hey, if anything, they said like, yeah, actually the offensive line is, is one of their better grades is that they do a job of, which means that there's things that they, even people that work there don't think they do a good job of grading. And I, you know, so they can have their system for grading cornerbacks, but it's still their system. It's still their opinion. Now I believe that, you know, PFF has done a masterful job of marketing itself as a reputable um, and end all be all system for for grading players especially because you know just they just had something for offensive linemen which most people just don't know about and i think including the people at you know a lot of people tracking games at pff but it's just being able to sit there and say like hey look we don't know that we don't have any way of judging uh, people just don't know what to do with offensive linemen they'd like to they have fantasy teams they can follow sacks and interceptions and tackles and this and that and blah 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 but there's nothing for for offensive linemen other than like just being like reputation word of mouth pro bowls all pros this kind of thing well at a certain point people just wanted numbers and stats and 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 quote unquote analytics data analysis and there wasn't anything there for offensive linemen but even that it's just like 
so you got that, but then how do you, what, what, how did that, how do we come down to the grades for, you know, the cornerbacks that come out right after the game without all 22 footage or the, the safeties or anything, you know, where it's, it, there's still, it's pure judgment, pure judgment calls. And it, and it all started with an opinion, uh, but they, they did a masterful job at marketing it, getting, however, they got Chris Collinsworth involved and saying, Hey, look, you get, you invest here and we give you this and that so that they could get, on NBC, on Sunday Night Football, putting out PFF grades under the players and, and saying, like, this and that is something we found here at PFF. And it's smart. It's great. I think also they could have a team of people who are posting on Reddit, upvoting on Reddit, downvoting anyone that questions grade odds, grades on Reddit, uh, reposting, posting all the time on Twitter, just like a flood of tweets, a PFF for every team, a PFF for for different cities and colleges and uh, just putting out all these Twitter accounts and, and having people say it because as long as someone's saying something good about the players on your team, um, especially if it's like, Hey, look, here's a PFF grade for this, this pass rusher that maybe is underrated, this nickel cornerback, this right guard, anything that makes people feel good about the players on their team or bad about players on other teams is enough to say like, great. I don't care where the number came from. I don't care if it came from just one college uh you know got a senior at syracuse who loves the orange uh is a big jimmy Bayheim fan uh also you know just likes you know he likes rooting for deshaun watson and his first favorite player was uh peyton barber for some reason and his dad works at enron if they're still around probably not a eh? Uh, but maybe he did used to work for Enron and this is him like trying to, you know, start his own Enron. Uh, and that's where we get to PFF. See how this all comes full circle, full circle. And I connect everything. Isn't it unfortunate that I spent so much money on a commute education and I'm not funny. It all comes down to there and that's how you get a PFF grade. Somebody said that, uh, you know, Rob Havenstein was a 71.6 today. And that means something because nobody else said anything about Rob Havenstein. So retweet, retweet, and uh, post it up on uh, Reddit and upvote, upvote, upvote. And if anyone goes like, hey, who did this number come from and why do I care what 71.6 means? It doesn't mean anything. It's, an, it's a made-up number. It's like a Madden grade. Like Madden grades, it's a, what is a Madden grade? Nothing. And then so, but that's PFF. I mean, that's that's the same thing. So no matter what the PFF grades come out on Monday night, you know, and they'll, they'll be coming out on Monday night. They'll be out there on Tuesday morning. Here's all the PFF grades from the game, and, and people will be sharing it and pretending like this. They've made PFF grades ubiquitous with analysis, and it's just not. It's just someone somewhere that you never meet doing a system that you don't get to know that it all comes out and it spits out a number that doesn't have any meaning. Um, but that's where we were at with the please, please information, please, please now, um, society. So that's just a little thoughts about PFF and, uh, about the NFL as the Rams take on the Buccaneers on Monday night. I better wrap this up. So there's some chance that at least uh, a dozen of you can listen to this before the game. Not that, uh, eh, that, you know, not that it really matters. Uh, maybe someone will listen to this after the game. And uh, hopefully the Rams won and are seven and three with their final six games because I think that they have a real good shot at uh, at least winning four or five of those six games, if not the whole lot. So 
Uh, that's it for this episode of Pod TST. I'll be back again soon enough.